Oh, welcome back to the Y Comics Podcast, the podcast where I talk to creators and fans about the comics they love. Just hearing the new name for the first time, we'll check Twitter for more information on that. I'm not going to spend uh, the first 30 minutes going over that again. Uh, I'm your host, Jesse, and with me today is, once again, the man behind blockbuster titles like Project Patreon, Commanders in Crisis, Curse of the Man-Thing, Avengers, Spider-Man, and X-Men. That's three of them. Uh, Extreme Carnage, Phage? Did I get that right? Yeah. Okay. And so many more. It's Steve Orlando. Hey, thanks for having me back, man. Steve, you write comics like nobody's business currently. I'm, I'm trying to think. There's, it's you and Rom, and like there's one other person that is writing like ten books a month. It feels like. <laughs> uh, well, it's not ten. It might feel like that because we don't have control about over when they're coming out. But um, yeah, the white noise guys stay pretty busy, uh, and um, I'm trying to keep busy. You know. And I know, uh, and you know, you just like you tweet out the other day. It's like I'm working on new projects. I've never worked in this area before. It's like, Steve, how where, where have you not worked? <laughs> very few. I haven't worked at Oni. I haven't worked at IDW. Uh, I have. Well, actually, I haven't worked at Oni, IDW. I haven't worked at Vault. Uh, maybe that's it. Uh, I haven't worked at Mad Cave. I haven't worked at Z2. I guess I got some work to do. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of those smaller <laughs> ones that like should i work with them but well i mean i don't i mean i listen if 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 the deal is is good or the idea is good like um i i'm I, in my opinion at least is that you should you should give anyone a try you know yeah. for the most part because you never know what the landscape of the industry is going to look like uh even next year it's certainly yeah. not five years from now so to me, it's more about the, it's always about the offer. It's, uh, it's not, A, it's not like a hit list, like, oh, I got to be everywhere. And, and it's also never like, oh, well, I'm too good to work at X company or like I've done too many things like, oh, I wrote Batman. I can't work at whatever. Fuck that because, I mean, Batman's still going to be around in five years. But again, like someone who works there might be on the rise. That company might be on the rise. Yeah. Uh, look at the buzz a company like Vault has versus five years ago. Or conversely, yeah. you want to go back into comic history. Look how much of a sure thing companies like CrossGen or Speakeasy felt like in the early 2000s. And you may not even know one or two of those now. So or like, like the most famous one, like Malibu. Like at the time, I was like, <laughs> Malibu's going to be the next big thing. And... Well, Malibu got bought by, I think, Marvel so they could yeah. uh, cannibalize all their colorists. Um, but yeah, and I mean, without a doubt. I mean, the, to be fair, like the, the Wildstorm acquisition was a very similar thing. It was about yeah. getting a lot of their, their production and and art departments and their IP, of course, but people weren't thinking about that as much in the late 90s. Um, it actually shocks me <laughs> that Marvel hasn't done uh, some sort of Men in Black comic. I'm sure there's some sort of legalese reason for that behind the scenes because that was a Malibu comic. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, su I'm surprised because like Men in Black is a franchise that feels like hasn't been exhausted, especially since there hasn't been a comic since i've been conscious about what's been published so it's like it's been ages yeah i actually this is now reminding me that i've never read those comics so i need to see uh if i can track those down um but it's yeah i mean with the malibu stuff without making that the point of this uh this talk i believe there's some sort of behind the scene things holding those up uh which is unfortunate because look i made like prime uh which is uh, an ultraverse character sort of related to malibu i think malibu became ultraverse actually mm -hmm. 
I loved Prime. That was my shit as a kid. I, I, I watched him on the cartoon and, you know, like, and so if they ever brought him back, I would, I would be there. But in the meantime, uh, you might notice there's something very similar. I, I'm writing a teenager who turns into a goo monster that looks like an adult. So if I can't have Prime, uh, we're, we're adapting that dynamic for something else. And you might have seen that uh, with our current take on Toxin. Um. I noticed something when I was like, I was like, I need to remember remember all of the stuff Steve does because I don't remember everything all the time. So I went to your Twitter account right before as I'm writing all the notes for the episode. And I saw in your profile, I've never seen it before, Ben 10 is listed in in your uh, bio. When did you write Ben 10? Uh, I did an episode last year that I was out uh, in season four. It's on HBO Max now. Um, um, HBO Max currently. Uh, HBO Max now sounds like some other version of that. Like so all the, all those like poppy words are all yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I did uh, an episode called Players of the Lost Park um, last year, early last year before the pandemic, and then it got animated and came out a couple months ago, and now it's up on Prime. Uh, is was writing TV? Did it feel similar to writing just a normal comic, or did you have to put more effort into it? Different effort. Um, I mean, it's all. I mean, every the nuts and bolts are always different for the for, de, for depending on the format you're working on. But uh, the creativity is largely the same. The, the hardest thing for me was working in the all ages space and knowing sort of what comedy works, what sort of comedy doesn't. Yeah. Uh, and that definitely took some back and forth. But Man of Action, uh, the guys that do Ben 10 are the folks that like brought me up in comics. So they were willing to take the time. Joe Casey, especially helped me with that episode. Uh, and I'm really happy about it. My my biggest dig at New Jersey did not get in. Very sad for me since the whole episode takes place in Raspberry Park, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we got we got enough in there. Um, so I want to move on to some of your new projects because like it feels like every time we talk, there's another uh, three to four projects that have launched. And I mean, that's the perfect timing to talk about all this stuff because it's fresh in your brain. Uh, I think project patreon is the the most excited i've been about a single first issue in a, in a minute um your awesome. setup and execution of the whole premise in one issue um for me as a reader just i mean as a reader everybody's different but for me it's like okay we got it everything's here everything is firing on all cylinders and you've sold the buy automatically to the reader like if no one if, if someone reads that and isn't in in that first issue I don't know when they're ever going to get in because like that's the cell the cell is in that first issue sometimes the cells like one or two issues in and you kind of have to have that build but you were able to build it and then pay it off right in the first issue and it's very very impressive yeah uh, you can't we can't wait for issue three for the cell these days we, we things got to move quickly no i'm that i'm actually kind of not joking you know like i yeah. feel like things move so fast in entertainment now that the slow burn book it's not impossible to do, but it is a luxury. Yeah. Uh, so I think you have to really hit your thesis hard uh, to lock people in. So I'm really happy to hear that. Um, and it's just a book. It honestly, like it, it, I sort of hustled with it for a while. Uh, a lot of people sort of only saw it as a superhero book, but when you read it, you see it's really, it's honestly more like a Gundam or like a Voltron. Yeah book it's about it's about the team behind the the icon so after shot got that immediately they were super supportive 
and it's just a dynamic uh, that has been really interesting to me. It, I, it came together when I was, <laughs> like a lot of people, I uh, did the uh, Netflix release of Evangelion. Mm -hmm. I was like, how could I merge some of these sensibilities with some of the iconography and, and storytelling devices of especially the Silver Age of comics? And that's sort of where the book came about. And, and like, that's kind of, in in a sense, what they were originally trying to do with like the reign of Superman, like after uh, Clark's death is like, all of these are like either genetically modified by like Lex Luthor or they're a robot that we don't know it's a robot or it's steel or like it's all these different things. And it's like, yeah, why don't we just push that all into one idea and actually go for it instead of pulling the rug out in the middle saying, no, Superman's still alive. Like and as a kid, by the way, I was so sure that Eradicator was the real one. Really? Um, uh, is it because yeah, he has those cool? Was, is it because he has those cool glasses? And you're like Superman would wear cool glasses like that. Yeah, I was seven, so that looked cool as hell to me. And I think I had some rationale um, that was obviously nonsense. I was like, oh, to come back to life, he would have to pass through the sun, and he hurt his eyes, so he needs the glasses now. And I was like, okay, that. All right, Steve. You're not uh, far off because he has the suit to give him more sun juice. So. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I was not in Dan's head, Dan Jurgen's head when I was seven years old. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, we, it's funny. I just like that event was so pivotal and like a lot of things that we do when we step away from uh, licensed work, you know, I wanted to examine a moment like that without any rules. Yeah. Um, and it's been really fun. Uh, Patrick Piazzalunga has such a, like, I love the, how sort of unexpected his style is. Like we could have gone with someone very manga influenced or very uh, 1960s, excuse me, influence. And we decided to take a pivot and uh, use someone. I, I, I almost, I, to me, he looks like the classic Dylan dog type artist. Yeah, I felt scary. like kind of in the middle of both of those. Um, and you know, like, it's not what you expect for this type of book. And that has been all the more pleasing to me. He nails the comic book action. Uh, and in later issues, he nails my, uh, my like, I would say, w Graham Morrison, Peter Milligan influence type villains that start showing up. So uh, Patrick's been great. And man, it's just crazy to me. Yeah, the, I, I, you never know what to expect with the first issue. Yeah. Um, I, I, because I, I like everything. None of, none of us put a book out there. And we're like, well, here's the crap one, you know. Yeah, so, like, yeah. Uh, so it's been it's been really exciting to connect it with people. And, and the thing is, like, with that first issue, and I, I'm going to try my best not to spoil the first issue at all. But I might say something spoilers. So if you haven't read it, don't listen to the rest of this. But I mean, issue two is out like next week. So at yeah. this point, I feel like if something squeaks out, that's okay. But for me, when you pitched it originally, you're like, what if Superman is actually dead and the person running Superman is the government? I'm like, okay, that's a cool premise. I'm, I'm already sold on that premise. And I'm reading the first issue and I see the one guy, okay, he's that guy's probably going to be a spy. Okay, this is good. This is good. Uh, this is going to be a, a, a slow burn of them trying to figure out who the spy is. Something's going to happen eventually. But then it ends with the character that you've been building the whole issue. Like, some some bad happens to that character you're like all right so we're not slow building to this this is just going to happen and then it, we're gonna have to jump into all these other characters that you like laid out to the sides you're like this is these are the ones we're actually gonna flesh out this guy he he's he's gone now <laughs> he's he's out of commission now <laughs> and i know like you're probably will flesh out his stuff more later on but like it felt like a nice juxtaposition of like not knowing who you're actually supposed to be following in the book 
Well, you're going to find out what happens for sure. Otherwise yeah. we're doing it wrong, but no, that was my hope. You know, like we got to go, we got to go as hard and fast as we can. I think everyone from my generation at least is chasing that Thunderbolts reveal. Yeah. Uh, we can't do that every time, but like you got to get people, you got to lock them in. So when I realized we could really like build this powder keg and then blow it up, you know, why wait till later on? <laughs> you got to. It reminds me, and I, I want to say it, it was your first issue of Justice League of America, where di didn't you blow Lobo's head off like in the first issue? I can't remember. I certainly did some wild shit to Lobo in my life. Yeah, I just remember uh, the first issue. I'm just reading it, and Batman blows off Lobo's head, and it's like, oh, okay, this is the tone we're going for this. He's like, he's like, I know you'll come back. I'll just do it right now. Uh, that does sound like something I would do, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it feels and it feels like uh, in, including commanders in crisis in this uh with your independent works with these two like there is a moment in the first few issues of commander in crisis you're like oh steve's going for this he's going for the concept fully he's not letting let, letting anything on the table and i think you're not you're not the only one doing it but you're one of the few people that i see openly doing it the people try to be very sly about like going to that extreme or like slowly building to that extreme and steve's like no I, this is what i want to do so you're getting it right away well especially with commanders in crisis you know that i mean i that it's a comic books comic book yeah. uh I, i'm not like i i that's not going to be a tv show it's not going to be x y and z and that's okay it was made to be this sort of love letter and critical eye on everything we take for granted uh in comics so it, with that in mind yeah i wanted it to be um like i, I mean uh, retro modern it's not that that's a shitty buzzword but you know yeah. the storytelling style is silver age a lot happens a lot of characters come in and out um but the concepts the themes are very modern yeah and in the in the middle of it too because we're now like past the halfway point of the series uh because it's 12 issues right yes yeah so we're past the halfway point and it and you started off as a very interesting concept of like what if empathy dies uh and and like what what if we're on the worst planet like this is the worst planet of them all and then now it feels like that is shifting though like there's that's still the focus those things are still happening but the characters are shifting to be more about each other and more about interacting with each other more than like saying we got to save everybody it's like well, we, we got to save each other kind of at this moment we got to save this team we got to save who we are uh, for the moment, yeah, and I think you know the other thing is we're we've got we've shocked you and and given you the assumptions of what like the death of empathy would mean. Yeah. Uh, and now as the issues go on, we're going to analyze what I think uh, it really means, you know. Yeah. And because it's funny, uh, a lot of what I what we're trying to do with Commanders in Crisis, like I had hinted at, is analyzing things that we just take for granted in comics. Yeah. You know, like uh i forget so i mean it, you, you see it in, in issue six but you'll see it more in issue seven uh and going forward uh you know executrix thinks that it's a big bomb drop like oh this is the earth where evil is good and we take that for granted as a just a thing because we're used to like earth two or Earth three in the dc yeah culture. but when you really think about it like that's kind of nonsense uh mm -hmm. Uh, because there obviously is very there is just evil and intrinsic evil but a lot of things is completely subjective uh, yeah uh, and this the idea that an earth could just be tilted towards evil 
is is it's something we think makes sense as comic readers and as sort of big idea people, but then when you actually think about it, it's like, oh well, um, maybe that's more of a hurdle, but it's not an absolute the way we might think. Yeah, because like what, a lot what, what, of these things are much more subjective. Yeah, yeah. when when I when I read that, I was like, oh, oh, so we're just on Earth. <laughs> like that's that, that's kind of the idea it's like that's it, these are heroes just being heroes on a planet that has a lot of bad going on and a lot of good going on like a normal planet <laughs> well and the other thing that interested me too is you immediately you know we killed empathy and the the within a world where that's possible you know the common reaction is oh now people don't know how to care about each other that yeah the next line see however uh again like that's just a gut punch. When you think about concepts like empathy in the real world, um, it's never that simple. I mean, first of all, if we like, I don't know, if we if we have some sort of injury or we lose uh, some sort of part of our body, usually like we'll find our body will find ways to work around it, for example, and still work. So it's not as though uh, society wouldn't try to heal. Uh, but even outside of that, Plenty of folks who have issues, uh, like if they're on the spectrum, for example, like maybe they don't engage with concepts like empathy in the same way. And they, yeah. still, find, they still find a way to find happiness and make life work and manage very beautifully. So again, as the series goes on, it's like, oh, this is gone, but what does it gone being really mean? Are we just assuming it's this huge gut punch because we're egotistical monsters uh, and think that we're really empathetic so we can't imagine not having it? Yeah. Uh, so a lot of it, like the first half is a lot about like hitting, hitting the themes of the story with that those big comic book uh, plot points. And then the back half is about, oh, what do they really mean? And are we just going through the motions? Uh, are we just trying to, you know, tell the same stories and come to the same resolutions or can we do something bigger and different? And that's something the characters find too. You know, they slowly realize resurrecting empathy is just going back to the status quo and as yeah. you said oh they're just on earth right now was the status quo that fucking good was it like was that the best we could do so the struggle is really to have these characters find a way to as they say try to be something better than a hero and the challenge is on me to uh or more useful than a hero i think is what i say eventually and the challenge is on me and the rest of the creative team to to wrap that up i got yeah. a couple more issues uh so we'll see how it goes it is like it is funny like i believe like when empathy gets raised from the dead too he, he's like this doesn't change anything really <laughs> like like i died and like and now i'm alive like what does that actually change now in this like what what's going to change what's going to be different and that's kind of and it's fun that you're playing with that and it's funny that you're playing with empathy and the idea of just inherent evil and commanders in crisis and then you're doing man thing over at marvel and man thing was always pitched to me growing up as like it's a, it's a hero with that has the power of empathy and i'm like what does that mean what, what does that mean for a creature like man thing and uh it's the first the first issue was just really fun and really fun marvel in a lot of ways and, but i still don't know anything about man thing is that bad of me Oh, I mean, well, no, because we've within this series, you're going to get everything you need. You know, in the first issue, we gave you his his origin as it stands. Yeah. 
Uh, and then we started to pull the rug out from it at the end. Uh, and by the halfway point of this next issue, the Spider-Man issue, uh, we'll reach a big turning point. Uh, and then we'll do another rug pull at the end. And then by the end of the X-Men issue, uh, not only is Man Thing back, but there's a, there's a richer past behind him. And I think he has more purpose than ever before. So it's not actually a bad thing that you don't know that much now because you'll get everything you need and know everything you have to about him by the time that series wraps up and probably better than ever before because the thing is um i've always found him to be a very uh, like primal and, and gripping character but to his uniqueness you know he's instinctual he can't speak he's more like a force of nature so mm -hmm. the, we immediately decided we had to find a way to both honor that and work around it and that's why we sort of said that this trauma that happens him in issue one sort of shakes loose Ted Salas inside him. So now to the outside, uh, you know, he's still the same terrifying man thing. But when he envelops you like Clayface, well, then you can, then there's this like cynical Rod Serling guy inside uh, that's the host of your own nightmares. Uh, and, and so there is a way that he can express himself. Yeah. Not and it, this is a book that I was not going into it expecting it to be a horror book. I was like, that's oh, Marvel. It's, I mean, it's man thing. He's kind of like Swamp Thing. So maybe it's going to be a little horror. Like, but it's the Avengers. And then I'm reading, I was like, this is terrifying. <laughs> like the attack of the plants and everything. I was like, I, I hate, I like, like reading them. Like, I hate this personally because I don't want this to ever happen, even though it never could. I just personally don't want it to happen either. <laughs> I was going to say low chance of it happening. Um, not no chance, I suppose. Anything's possible. Um, but I, I mean, I appreciate it. You know, we wanted to, I hope at the end of this, look, I love Swamp Thing. Uh, I mean, I was, I, I was pitching Swamp Thing for years at DC. Uh, and, and the challenge to me is to make sure more than ever that they are vastly different characters. Yeah. They debuted within months of each other. Um, but they are going to be really different. I mean, Man Thing will really be live in this this a very supernatural world, as you can already as he already has, but it's going to be even more so. Um, and and the sort of team aspect of the of of Salas and Man Thing uh, existing as a duo, I think really sets them apart as well. But I'm sort of getting ahead of myself because we've only had the first issue come out. Um, but I, I I am really happy. Uh, that I really think, at least from a character standpoint, he's going to function wildly differently than his uh, than the muck monster across the street. And, and that's why I think it's really cool that you're doing Man Thing right now, while Ram's doing Swamp Thing right now too. And you two are some of my favorite writers of current comics. And seeing you both tackle the the similar concept, but you're 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 vastly going in different directions. So both of you together are like showing everybody's like no these are two different characters at the same time and i yeah. think that's that's good <laughs> well rom's take is smart and i'm a bro uh and and uh so my agent says at least uh and so you're certainly gonna get different things steve uh, i don't think anybody can read martian manhunter and be like this was written by a bro man <laughs> I mean, I'm with you, my friend, but I have been called the I've been called the gay bro of comics by my agent. I'm like, well, I'm actually the bisexual, I I guess semi bro of comics, but I guess the bro card. If you just follow you on Twitter and seeing all the WWE, it's like, okay, that's the bro part. Uh, and I swear a lot, like I get it, but um, yeah, I mean, God, WWE, we can't talk about that. Do you see Mickey James's post today? No, I what? did not. Oh, how terrible. 
I mean, everybody knows that VKM is a fucking maniac, but uh, she just posted that they sent her all of her shit in a trash bag in a box after releasing her. I see. I don't follow it closely because I have a lot of friends that follow it, and I'm trying now my hardest to get into it so I can talk to friends about it because I always feel bad when I can't talk to my friends about something. But I saw that and I'm like, everybody loves her from I can see. What? Why would you ever release her from a contract while she's in the middle of like her height? I mean, it's uh, that's not what we're here to talk about. But there are a lot of issues with uh, with the way that that company views talent. So. Um, I mean, my guy, Samoa Joe, who I think is one of the best wrestlers ever, got released as well. And it was just heartbreaking for me. I'm sure he'll be fine, you know, um, but he's just one of the best in the game. So to see him get released was a bummer, but I'm sure he's going to crush it. He can crush anything he does. So uh, one more thing about Man Thing, though, before we move on, it's like, what comes next with you and Man Thing? Is you say he's going to be the more established than he has been in a long time in the Marvel Universe, but are you going to be done writing him after this, or do you have more plans that you want to hopefully get to Marvel? Uh, I mean, look, I'm always going to be honest with you guys. Like, we have a, we certainly have a, a concept, and we set up a, a way that he can function in the Marvel Universe at the end of this that I think is really exciting. And we have an idea in, uh, and the Manthing editorial team wants to do it. A lot of what's going on uh, at the Big Two right now is about the fact that the pandemic is still going on and they're not publishing quite as many books. So I hope that we, I'm able to do it. Uh, but half of it is, is not even about, like, is this a great idea? It's about, like, do we have a slot for it to be published this yeah. year? So um, I hope we can come back. I want to, and we have an idea for it that's similar right now. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of que- there's a lot of sort of vari- variables about it, um, and a lot of them are out of everyone in creative's control. So I hope we can do it soon. Uh, if I get another series at Marvel, I'd love to have him at least guest. If I can't do this mini series uh, that's coming, but you know, if you don't see it, it you know it doesn't mean I don't have ideas, and it doesn't yeah. mean everyone in editorial wasn't on board. It doesn't even necessarily mean Marvel wasn't on board. It just means that you know. It's a wild time in publishing, uh, totally unlike anything else in my career. So I actually have a lot of ideas in right now, and I don't know which you, uh, you'll see first. Um, and and it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to talk about. But I mean, look, I was supposed to debut on Darkhold, uh, and then Miss Rona stepped in, and now that book still isn't out, but it's coming. That's what I okay. Think. I'm glad you said it's coming because I'm like I was really excited about that. It's coming. Yeah. That's what I can say. Uh, and I mean, and I'm like, I'm way less naughty than Kean. Kean is just posting inked pages he's drawing from it on Twitter. So like, anytime people ask me about it, I'm like, just go over there, man. Like the the, the official line is it's coming, but also you can see that it's coming because yeah, so. I, I'm excited because I like I think one of the things I do miss out of your current lineup of books coming out is like I want more magic, Steve. I want Steve doing. Oh, more my magic. boyfriend tells me magic every day. We talk about. <laughs> I just uh, I, I want to see you explore like the myth, like the magic and mythic side of comics, just more in general. Because a lot a lot of these books are very like either just straight capes or very sci-fi in a lot of ways. Because I think about um, gosh, what is the book you did with TKO? Um, Paul. Pull like pull is fantastic, but it's just heavy sci-fi in a lot of and and the whole series. So it's like, what what is it? What does a full-on magic book look like? 
Yeah. Um, well, I, I would love to, I mean, there's like strange, there's, there's, excuse me, supernatural weirdness coming from Madison crisis, but not full on magic. Like yeah. we have, uh, I mean, that book is more about like character sketches and studies that are interesting to me. We do have Dr. Dracula, the world's first psychokinetic super taster. He appears in, I think, issue nine. So that's fun. That, but um, I do like that stuff a lot. I mean, Dr. Fate is one of my favorite characters. It bums me out. And so is the Spectre. And neither of them are people I got to work with. Um, however, I'm, I, there, there are echoes of that and things that I have been working on. I mean, listen, Darkhold is written and I hope it comes out soon because it's just like, I'm so proud of what we do with Wanda there. Mm -hmm. She is, she is, uh, just has so many great moments. Um, and the, the spotlight is on her more than ever because of the show. And by complete coincidence, I mean, you know, the show features the Darkhold as yeah. well. Uh, and now we get to show people a chance that, uh, we get a chance to show people uh, what makes this original version even even worse. Because when you look back in the in the lore, the Darkhold that's been passed around Marvel for so long is a copy of a copy. So you know, as it says in the solicits, I'm not spoiling stuff. Like Doctor Doom digs up the original one that's bound in in flesh and things, and and it sets off this whole story that really like after all these years uh, of of back and forth with. Thon and a bunch of other sort of and and doom like she just get like this is such a win for her if she makes it out of the story so yeah I, I, i'm really excited for folks to see it plus like the designs that kian did uh of all the heroes who read the book uh and get turned into mad versions of themselves are so cool especially his spider-man is really awesome his his defy his his defiled spider-man is super super good so as I said, it's coming. Uh, and then, we, you know, we're doing Extreme Carnage this summer as well. So I'm, I'm all over the map with Marvel. I'm doing yeah. Spiotes. Um, we launched the new take on Toxin. Uh, and then we're doing this, this, this Carnage event, which also is going to have Toxin in it. Uh, and I'm not breaking any news there. Like, he's in the teaser. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, yeah, the teaser image by Lanil. Uh, so I'm doing the Phage and Toxin things there. And it's just a totally different flavor as well and, and super, super fun for me. That is that is a, if I do, if I am the queer bro of comics, it's it's for the meaty action of a symbiote book. And and it's been really fun. Yeah, and it's you and uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson joined forces again. And I've said it in the episode where we all three talked and I've said it in other episodes and I'll say it again, that Killer Man is the best graphic novel from last year tied with uh, Blue and Green. And... Uh, having you guys both together working on like a, a mini event or I don't know like how long this event's actually going to be but it seems like a smaller event um, it, it, it's exciting because you guys do action together so very it's, it's fun it's just a fun time and I expect this to just be fun more than anything it is going to be yeah like it's a little bit like when I was on Batman Robin Eternal but it's also like Milk Wars, uh, which, you know, when I was on Eternal, that was a, that was six months weekly. So it, that was just the haul. Milk Wars, I sat down with Gerard Way and we sort of planned the macro story. And then we could farm, we could reach out to our friends uh, for these one shots in between. And that's sort of what's going on with Extreme Carnage. And the brain master is Philip in this, not me. Like, yeah. but he's, he's working with a great writer's room, which is me. And also to not forget Clay McLeod Chaplin and Alyssa Wong, uh, who are doing uh, issues of that as well. And it's it's just been great uh, putting the story together. And it's a it's a bold story, 
Um, anything with Carnage has to be. Uh, and I'm also reuniting with, with Gerardo Sandoval who did my toxin one shot. And I, I don't think there's anyone who does symbiote stuff better. Uh, they're like, they're like bulls ramming around. They're like alien bulls ramming around and hitting each other. It's going to be really, really fun. And, uh, as I said, there'll be a toxin one shot as well, uh, which is, uh, teed up in that teaser image with Lanille. And I'm excited to get back to that because I really like the dynamic with that character. I am a sucker for like kids uh, in, in adult bodies, a la Prime and Shazam. Yeah. So Shazam seems like it'll be pretty exciting. Is there anything about the story that you could talk about other than what's in the solicitation or is just that still tight? Like no one can talk about that yet. Uh, I mean, most of it should really come from Philip just because he is the lead. But I'll say, yeah. you know, like... All of the one shots, what I'm really proud of, and this is really vague, so, but I can at least give you something like, um, you know, the Life Foundation symbiotes have always uh, struggled for identity. You know, when they were uh, in Carnage USA, they, they were so wounded that they couldn't even overtake someone's entire body. They were basically just like parts of body armor. And then during Absolute Carnage, they were all bonded to this dog and then they all were bonded to a family together like one was each member of the family and what i'm really proud of with all the one shots not just phage uh is that Alyssa, clay and philip and i have taken the time uh to craft stories for these hosts and these symbiotes that are really unique uh and often really tragic and heart-wrenching because it's a carnage story so i guess it's, it's barely a spoiler that things are going to go wrong and bad yeah. pretty quickly uh, but we really took the time to, to make, you know, uh, every single host uh, and every single relationship that they have with their symbiotes unique and memorable. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really proud that we did that. And I think nothing is taken for granted with them. Um, and they're all going to matter, you know, uh, and they're all going to matter in a unique way, which I'm, I'm really, really proud of. And that's not a story spoiler, I guess, but I will say like, Every vignette and every one shot that introduces them uh, is, 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 is really moving and really shocking. And, and, and that's the way a Carnage story should be. So, so I am excited for you guys to see it. it. It's fun to hear you say like that these characters will matter with these one shots. And you've said that now about Man Thing. Like Man Thing is going to matter after this. You're, you're one of those creators. Um, and, and there's a lot, like most creators I think are like this, but some of them either don't nail it because like either the run gets short uh, shorted or like no one continues it right after but you have a, a knack for opening up the characters you're writing for for the future and like keeping them wide open because i've read other like creators who will take characters and kind of shut them down so it'll be harder for a creator to get into them and make a new series or to do something else with them but you're like if i you're like if i don't write the sequel i want to make sure someone can write the sequel and well, you, trust me, I want to write the sequel. Oh, I, I know you do. I know you do. But <laughs> I would but, always like a longer run. But yeah. Yeah, but but you for sure like keep things open for others. You never try to shut people out because there's, I think there's jealous creators out there who are like, well, this is my take, and I want to keep it my take for the as long as possible. <laughs> well, I'm not. All, all I'll say about that attitude is that it does exist. But more to the point, uh, I don't want it done to me, so yeah. I wouldn't other people. And also, um, for better or worse, I don't look at licensed work in that way. Uh, you know, when you're working on an existing character, your job is to add value uh, 
Um, and it's not, it's not yours. I mean, that's not even me like being, you know, throwing shade at someone else, but it's just not, you know, mm -hmm. like even if I wrote Batman for 10 years or 15 years, if I wrote, I mean, look, X-Men doesn't belong to Chris Claremont, uh, but his, his legacy is obviously indelible, by the way. I'm not going to, I'm not ragging on him, but at the end of the day, like it went from him to a variety of other char character creators, uh, to the hands of Grant Morrison and everything they did. Uh, and now, and, and now it's obviously headlined by Hickman, uh, but none of those people, uh, you know, it might be their run, but those characters are always going to go on after them. Yeah. It feels like to me part of the responsibility and obligation of the job is to be additive, add value, uh, and to create a runway uh, for that to continue after you leave. Because we're all inevitably going to leave. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think that's a good I like idea of it. Um, and I mean, and that's kind of like what's so good about the creator-owned market being so big right now. It's like if you have something that you're like, this has to be the thing that I I do. Like you could just take it to a, a indie publisher and get a creator owned out of it um because like there's some ideas that like would work great for the big two but maybe not great like i'm trying to think of like the right word it worked great for like batman or superman or captain america or anybody but it worked better if it wasn't with them it would be work better if it was a a, a solid story on its own and so like, I think being able to be like, you know what, maybe I don't do this with this. I can do it and I can reform it into another project is a good way to look at it too with sequels and stuff like that. No, absolutely. And the reverse is true too. Like you can't manufacture uh, iconography or legacy or cultural impact. So mm -hmm. like a story that I would tell with Wonder Woman, some stories that I tell uh, told in that book have, more weight because they're with wonder woman not yeah. like warrior woman you know or whoever i made an image which you know or i mean and i think that that's just that that is one of the things that you should key into when you're doing work for hire because yeah like a story with diana who's been around excuse me for over 80 years um has different weight um than a story with an analog yeah uh, so Steve, before I move into some quick question and answer with you, I want to know like what what did you have coming up that you want to talk about? If you can't talk about anything that else is coming up, because I feel like we're talking about a lot of the stuff that's currently happening. But what's coming next? Oh man, uh, well uh, in I think May um, I get mixed up because there's two months of it, so I'm sorry, but. In May or June, I have the Magneto and the Mutant Force one shot that's part of Heroes Are Born. And I'm just finishing that, uh, you know, the, the lettering proofs up for that now. And it's like, <laughs> I mean, I may never write X-Men, uh, but if I don't, I have this one shot that I'm extremely, extremely proud of. Incredible art by Bernard Chang. Um, and just a wild uh, alternate universe X-Men story that I'm, that I'm super, super proud of. So that's coming out. Uh, that's coming out. Star Wars is coming out. It's my heavy metal young adult uh, cosmic action series. That comes out every other month in heavy metal magazine, serialized, which weirdly me being a guy who would stay up when he was too young to be watching the heavy metal cartoon movie, like 2 a.m. I'm super excited to be appearing in that serial. I think the first time I felt queasy watching a cartoon was when I watched that movie. 
and the Lochnar kills everyone in the B-52. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm ex- very, very excited about that. Um, oh, in August, I'm actually going to be, uh, my, my friend Steve Fox and I are launching Rainbow Bridge, which is the first book out of Aftershock's Young Adult line. Very, very excited about that. Gorgeous, gorgeous art. It's like, it's like paging through a Disney movie. Uh, and just a very emotional, uh, heart, heart punching story uh, that basically posits what if the Rainbow Bridge was the Bifrost? Uh, and what if you could have one more adventure with a lost pet uh, to get closure on the other side? So uh, very emotional uh, and unlike me because there's no sex and no decapitation. So barely feels like an Orlando book. Um, oh man, and like, in June, I, have, I mean, both Pride issues, Mar- Marvel Pride and DC Pride, which is <laughs> uh, always going to be a little entertaining to me, but the stories have uh, very different flavors. Like the one in DC Pride is is more what I guess most people would say is my brand. It's very violent. It has a lot of <laughs> to, to queer history. Um, and it also, and it features Extraño, who is the first ever out character at Marvel or DC. Uh, North Star debuted first, but came out after him. Yeah, uh, and so I'm super, super proud of that. I mean, it's got Extraño uh, slash Gregorio de la Vega, um, Constantine, and Midnighter, uh, and they're just murdering some murdering some vampires, as you'll see for reasons that become clear in June. Uh, and then the Marvel one is like a polar opposite. I'm going to work with Dakin, who I think is like a there's no one I want to work with again more at Marvel than Dakin. He's basically just me as a mutant. He's uh, aloof, uh, violent, uh, and moody, uh, and that's that's just me. Except the violent part doesn't express itself because, uh, just like the Joker says, we live in a society. So, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, like what the funny thing about that though is, like for all of that, the the what do you expect from me and Dakin? It's not what you expect. Uh, it's a story about, uh, it's a story from his past that introduces a new, uh, a new gay mutant, uh, named, well, I can't say his name yet, but because he, he's getting a variant cover. Uh, but, uh, but I'm just super proud of that story because honestly it was supposed to be a five page story and I sent it in and it got such a, re- got such a response that they let me add another page oh, nice. and give us the variant cover. Uh, so very, very proud of that. Can't wait for all of you folks to see that designed by Luciano Vecchio. Uh, and I want to write more with this character. I got to create my own mutant. Uh, he's got a unique point of view and a unique power set that might actually let me do some Spectre shit. Um, so very, very excited about that. And there's more too. Uh, I don't know when the announcements happen, but I have a new licensed book that I think is also going to be out in August or September. Nice. And it is, <laughs> well, I can't say what it is, but I've never, uh, I've never worked with this company before. I've never worked with this, uh, these characters before. And it's a book when I threw the pitch in, I was like, man, they're not gonna go for this. Uh, and, and they totally did. And it's just a huge blockbuster that takes place in a setting that you would never expect these characters to appear. So you, that's out in August. You'll probably find out about that soon. I just gave a quote for them. So that news is coming uh, and I could ramble on, uh, you know, there, I'm a busy guy, um, but it, it's been really, really rewarding. Uh, you know, That's when I, I was, you know, a look behind the curtain when I was on contract with DC, I would at most probably write th- 
three to four books a month, but ideally only two. Um, and now I'm probably writing at minimum four a month, if not more. But uh, it's like the, the hustle and the energy and the fact that a lot of them are originals and it's more balanced that between originals and licensed work. It's like one of the most exciting years and a half, year and a halves I've had. Uh, and, and I hope that comes through in the page, you know, like the yeah. first product of this was actually Project Patron. Uh, so the fact that it was well-received, uh, really, really empowering for me. I, I am very much looking forward to your Teletubbies Meet Mars Attacks uh, comic. That I assume that's what that secret project is. Oh, um, I'm going to pitch that now. <laughs> um, and honestly, I think... I, at my age, it would be Care Bears Meet Mars Attacks. Hey, that's, that's fair. I, I would still pick that up. But And also, like, uh, 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 a, a Dakin book by, that says, written by Steve Orlando, it's like okay, soul. Like that's because that's that's just that's just more like to me that's more killer man. <laughs> like that that's where that book could be, and like that's what like that would be fun. Significantly more violent than killer man. I well yeah, you have claws on this person, so that helps. Uh, uh, so a, a few questions that wrap up. Um, uh, House of Comics uh, friend podcast asks, which Marvel characters would you like to write a solo series for, and why is it She Hulk and Captain America? <laughs> Uh, Cause you've seen other podcasts with me. Is that why? I, uh, I, I think it's because of how focused that first, uh, that first man thing is on those two. Well, I love them both. Uh, you know, like I, I cap is obviously a complicated character right now. I'll be the first person to say that I love what Ta-Nehisi Coates has done with him. Um, but he is my favorite Marvel character that at least my favorite A-list Marvel character, like my favorite Marvel character is probably Captain Universe, which is why I was living during King and Black. But um, my favorite character that people actually uh, get behind is probably Captain America. Um, and I just, uh, I'm super excited for actually that uh, the Chris Cantwell led event, um, United States Captain America that's coming out. Yeah, that looks great. I would love my own shot for sure. Uh, and she helped. Uh, I mean, I, I grew up uh, grabbing the Burn series out of quarter bins uh, and she's just really fun. I mean, I, I gave her, yes, uh, for people who read the first issue, she helped with the baseball bat uh, and, and her calling him Tiny Wighead and saying it's a nice neighborhood for her to smash. A, that's just a Triumph the Insult comic dog joke uh, that I subbed another word in for. Uh, welcome to my process. But no, she's just been a joy, you know, like, like I, I really, the combination of speaking like the Hulk, but maintaining her full cerebralness behind yeah. things is just very pleasing for me. So I would love a crack at those. Um, tell you what I really would like to do is in humans, uh, because I think that with how amazing both the mutant line and the Eternals book is, it is a challenge uh, that I hope I'm fucking up at the task force someday to now step in and look at this other classic Kirby creation and show how they matter and yeah. how they're different. Uh, and I've got ideas, I'm not getting into that now, but I think that the, the strength of the work in similar concepts between Eternals and Mutants begs an even greater creative challenge within humans. And I'm gonna fucking be there for it. Yeah. Uh, and next question is how do ideas usually hit you? I know you talked about earlier that the project patron kind of hit you while you're rewatching Evangelion, but where, where do they, do they hit you in all just random ways or do you have a certain place where like the idea finally forms? Um, 
<clears throat> there's no one way. <clears throat> um, but what I do is so I have even half an idea. I write it on my hopefully too far away to really be read. Oh, it's, it's very blurry. You're good. Uh, idea board back there. And like when it when it comes, I just write it down. And like sometimes there's something uh, and sometimes they're nothing. Like sometimes there's just a word that I think is or a phrase that I think is fun, like idealians, which is up there. And I don't even know what that book is, but I like I write it down and maybe I'll know someday. Um, and then there are books like, uh, let me see. Uh, I'm trying, I think there's a couple that I've sold, so I can tell you what they were called up there. Um, well, actually, no, I've, I, that, that's all fresh stuff. So I can't get into it too much, but yeah, like I, I just, I, I put fragments and titles and log lines down there. And then if I'm ever at a loss, I look to it. Um, but I'm lucky in that I sort of have no shortage of ideas. I'm also incredibly spiteful. So I also keep my, uh, hold on, my Marvel, my rejection letter from 2003, right in front of my writing desk. Oh, that's great. So, um, you know, like I both like I have the freshness of my ideas back there. And then if I ever don't have any, I just look at that rejection letter from the epic submissions editor. And I'm like, fuck you. I'm still here. <laughs> uh, and and something comes to me. So uh, and last, spite, that's how spite is a good hey, spite's a good motivator. I've, I've, I've heard a lot of writers say spite's the reason they are still writing. Um. The last question though is, and it's funny that we brought it up. We brought up wrestling a little bit before. You're the only comic book person I could think of of like the mainstream comic people that I would, I would ever think would go into wrestling at all, ever. <laughs> I'm a giant coward, my dude. Uh, would you ever try though? Would you ever want to like put your foot in the water? No. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty. I'm pretty clear about that. I'm never taking a bump. Uh, I've been hit in the face three times in my life. All three times are terrible. Um, so I would like, I mean, I conversely, I would like a chance at booking uh, and writing a show. Like I've thought about, I don't know. I mean, I'll, in like four years, I'll, I'm about to turn 36 in August. So I was thinking maybe for my 40th birthday, I would do like a charity wrestling show and try to hire people. Um, like I'd like to try booking one time uh, and be in, excuse me, on the creative side, but me bumping, 0% chance. I mean, unless I just fall on my ass and like, and, and they count it, because that happens all the time, because I'm clumsy, but um, I don't know how people do it, you know? Like, it's easy, it's one of those things, like, it's easy for you to say, or not you, but it's easy for yeah. us to say, like, oh, like, they know how to fall. Oh, like, it's just an act. They're not really hitting each other. Uh, well, maybe they're not, but also, like, like I can't do more than 25 jumping jacks. Uh, so I certainly couldn't bounce around a ring for 40 minutes. Yeah. Uh, like I, yeah, it's, um, I am very comfortable in saying that I'm a spectator uh, at best and uh, a peanut gallery at worst. Uh, but I'm, I, <laughs> if I get in the ring, it'll be to take pictures. I think Steve again. Thank you for coming on once again on the show. Where can people follow you for all the updates of all the books coming out? The best place is the place you mentioned, Twitter. It's the Steve Orlando. Oh wait, I'm sorry. Uh, that 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 one is what I am on Instagram. Uh, on Twitter, I'm just the Steve Orlando, and then on Instagram, it's the Steve Orlando. 
and you'll get a little bit of both, but Instagram is a little more personal. I still talk about comics. I talk about sort of my fitness and diet journey as well. If you really just want the comics and me saying things like, ha ha, fuck Josh Holly, because that guy sucks. Uh, yep. <laughs> uh, what a piece of shit. Like, you'll get that on Twitter, and that's probably where you should go. And uh, for this show, you can follow us on Twitter now at YComicsPod, Facebook at Facebook.com slash YComicsPodcast. Uh, email me at YComicsPodcast at gmail.com. And if you have any questions for future guests, want to be a guest on the show, or just have a story about how comics impacted you and you want that read live on the show, you can reach me at any of those places. If you like the show, please leave a review and tell a friend. And logo for the show is by, my, uh, by Andy Manley. And the banners are by my friend Steven. Theme is Join the Restaurant by David Zetsi. And remember, everybody, that Captain America punched Nazis. Have a good night.